life in the modern world is all about irony. Uh, there's the irony of the fact that in our modern consumer world, none of us can live a sustainable life. Um, and that is mirrored by the irony of making something beautiful out of something horrible. From NCPR, welcome to Northwards. People, ideas, and conversations from and about northern New York, Vermont, and beyond. I'm Mitch Tyke. Support for the Northwards podcast comes from St. Lawrence University, where a strong liberal arts tradition with real-world applications equips students to solve 21st century challenges. stlawu.edu. One of our goals on Northwards is to introduce you to folks with a unique view of the North Country. Sometimes, of course, that's a metaphor, but photographer J. Henry Fair really does have a unique view that he shares through his photographs. Fair lives in New York City and Berlin, and he chronicles the devastating things that we humans have done to the land around us. Clear-cutting forests, tearing up mountains to get to what's underneath, pouring wastes into streams and rivers. And you'd think you'd look at his photos and come away feeling ashamed and depressed. But what makes these pictures remarkable is that they are beautiful, and they're taken from the air. That Henry Fair can make aluminum tailings or mining scars or log forests look beautiful is no easy challenge. But if you see his photos, either on his social media feeds or in an exhibit at the Adirondack Experience in Blue Mountain Lake, you'll agree they really are stunning. The ADKX exhibit includes interpretation and a video interview between Fair and longtime Adirondack nature writer Ed Cans. The two of them joined me over Zoom last summer. Great to talk to both of you. Pleasure. Pleasure to be here. Uh, Henry, why, why is the view from the air the ideal place to witness the impact of humans on the Adirondack region? I look at things from the air for several reasons. One, we can get over the fence. We can see the things which are blocked from our view. The other reason, though, and it might be more important, is from the air, I can create an abstract image of something which, seen from a terrestrial view, looks very normal. Do you think people react differently to that abstract image than they would to seeing, you know, what they they might be accustomed to imagining environmental impact being? Yes. When people see an abstract image, it becomes art. And let's remember, art is what touches us, whereas document is neutral. We don't feel something. So, yes, when we see an abstract whether it's done from the air or whatever, something abstract makes us stop and think. Do, do you think, at least when I looked at these photographs, they, they conjured up this kind of inner conflicts between the aesthetic beauty and, and what it represents. And is, is that inner conflict kind of the point in what you're doing? Absolutely. For me, uh, life in the modern world is all about irony. Uh, there's the irony of the fact that in our modern consumer world, none of us can live a sustainable life. Um, and that is mirrored by the irony of making something beautiful out of something horrible. I know I 
couldn't help but feel a little guilty in looking at photographs of <laughs> tailings or clear-cut expanses or even the Alcoa plant and, and thinking, oh, my gosh, that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they are. I mean, for me, the things that man makes, those, those, the machines, are in some way the pinnacle of our ability as tool-wielding hominids. And there's a beauty in that for me. And that's not new. All photographers have loved to photograph uh, the repetitions and patterns of machines. Ed Kanz, how do you think Henry Fair's work contributes to the story that we understand about people's impact on the environment here? Well, I think it, it really opens up the conversation. We talk a lot about negative impacts on the environment in the Adirondacks when we tell the origin story of this park. So we talk about 19th century logging and deforestation and erosion and fires and uh, as if it all happened back then and as if the picture is entirely rosy and the impacts are non-existent today. But that's not true. The impacts continue in some cases uh, as tourism lately really booms in the Adirondacks, which is not a bad thing, but it's not all good either. And, and so looking down through Henry's lens at the landscape, we, we see that uh, the, the disturbance to the Adirondack landscape is very much an active thing today. And, and we need to see that. We need to look at it with clear eyes. And, and Henry's wonderful exhibit helps us to do that. Well, and of course, there are a lot of places in the Adirondacks that are referred to as wilderness, but but the way you write about it and the way these photographs capture it, it's anything but untouched wilderness. Right. And, and really, there's probably not any untouched wilderness left on the planet. I mean, that's an important part of the, the, the discussion, too. When we see uh, thousands of acres of unbroken forest in the Adirondacks, we might think that that's natural. But when the first peoples arrived in the Adirondacks, there were mammoths and mastodons and giant sloths and giant <laughs> beavers and things roaming the landscape, things that disappeared in the presence of humans. And uh, so I often think about that when I'm out in the, the deep woods and I think, wow, this is the wilderness. It's natural that it's actually what we think of the wilderness being in the Adirondacks is actually in itself a human construct. Ed, you told me a great story about um, the smog which reaches up into the Adirondacks and the impact that has, which, of course, reminds us that uh, pollution knows no boundary. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We stand on an Adirondack peak on a summer day and look out and see the haze, and much of that haze is, is ozone pollution coming up from the eastern seaboard. Henry Fair, can you share a little about your process? How do you go about finding these scenes? In the Adirondacks, many of these, well, I, I fly with a group of pilots called Lighthawk, and they're all very knowledgeable about their areas. And the, the pilot that flew me for all of these was even more so uh, Bob Keller. And so he was able to find things that Adirondack board members knew about, but did not know the location of. And Bob was able to say, oh, yeah, I know where that is. In a general way, my, I find locations 
based on research. I hear about a process and then I do research to figure out where that process is being done. And then I figure out how to get myself over it to photograph, whether that's making paper or uh, digging coal or, or steel or whatever. Um, so that applied here as well. Do you have to have a certain hunch about what the aesthetics might look like when you see it from the air, or is there still a lot of serendipity in what you find? Uh, good question. And yes, I, I'm an engineer at heart, and I like to know how things work. And so before I get up in the air over a site, I'm looking at it with satellite imagery to see where the different um, components of the process are. And then, of course, once you get up there, uh, the angle of the sun, the light has a, a large part to do with creating the compositions. I had a chance to talk with a pilot from Lighthawk, and he was describing the the circles that some of these trips involve, and the and the leaning out of airplanes, and uh, it must be you know just from a technical standpoint, what has to go into capturing one really, you know the the image you really want has to has to involve hours and hours of of being in just the right place at the right time. Suffice it to say, it's not for the weak of stomach. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it's exactly that. And many, many trips, uh, we probably flew 10 different sorties to get this collection of pictures, mm. maybe more. And it's grueling. Imagine being in a very tight Austin Mini and being <laughs> trying to hold a, cam a big camera still while a giant is shaking the thing. So it's, yeah, it's, it's grueling. Ed Cans, for someone who has written about this region and seen it from a particular viewpoint on foot for so long, it must literally be an eye opener for you to get these these new views of it that that maybe you hadn't seen before. Yeah, yeah, it's really exciting. I haven't spent much time in the air over the Adirondacks, and so it's a it's a treat to 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 see these images. You know, there's that old expression, uh, not being able to see the forest for the trees. <laughs> So when we're out there trekking around on the ground, as Henry alluded to before, we're, we're seeing what's right in front of us. But the big picture, which is enormously important, is sort of lost to us, sometimes intentionally concealed from us. You know, in the, in the logging industry, there's the term beauty strip. Sometimes uh, intensive logging goes on, but a little strip is left al along the road to create the illusion of unbroken forest. So... Uh, by, by yeah, bringing Henry and his cameras and lenses up into the air and looking down from this uh, almost godlike perspective from above, we see things that we haven't seen before and that we really need to see. One of the areas you include might surprise people, and that is recreation. Um, there are photographs of the bobsled run on Mount Van Hovenberg, and I think it's the ski slopes on Whiteface. Um, and it's interesting because maybe 50 feet away from this exhibit at the Adirondack Experience is another exhibit about the about the region's Olympic and broader sports history. And it strikes me, and maybe I'm, I'm curious to hear what both of you think of this, but it, it strikes me that many, even in this region, have not given much thought to sustainability when it comes to things like winter sports. 
Well, yeah, I, yeah, I, I certainly think that's true. I think we sometimes see sports and tourism and hiking as being unalloyed goods, and they certainly bring us tourist dollars. My family goes back a long time in the Adirondacks, and my grandfather was mayor of a little Adirondack town. I, I know the struggles of, and I struggle myself sometimes to make a living here, but. Um, you know, at the same time, we we want money, we want visitors, we want tourism, we want sports, but we need to think about their effect in the landscape. We don't want to kill the goose that lays the golden egg and, and harm the Adirondack environment. I mean, one a good example of it that I see on the ground in the Adirondacks is the, the sort of craze for climbing the 46 peaks over 4,000 feet. And most of those peaks are somewhat remote. A uh, great many don't have marked trails, and hardly anybody used to climb them until a few years ago. But now, I don't know how many people climb them every year, whether it's hundreds or thousands, but uh, these mountains are being severely impacted. There's erosion, there aren't the, the unofficial trails that people follow to the tops are not graded and installed carefully the way the, the, the sort of marked trails are. So... Uh, the the whole process is every any individual person who goes and climbs those mountains certainly doesn't do it with any intent or sense probably of of harm to the mountains that they're climbing but collectively in the aggregate there is a lot of harm being done to the mountains so i i like the idea some people are talking about maybe we shouldn't go out and climb the 46 peaks maybe we should encourage people to see 46 different birds in the adirondacks or identify 46 different kinds of trees. And then we, we can sort of disperse and see those things in different places rather than send enormous numbers of people and concentrate them into, into small areas repetitively and, and damage the, the very place that we love. I would say the same thing. And that is that, um, of course, jobs and, and, and economy are, are, are essential with nothing but um, the natural world is also essential. And so we do have to figure out how to balance those two things. Uh, Henry Fair, do you, uh, do you consciously make sure you keep people out of these photographs? No. In fact, I like to get people in them, uh, both for a sense of scale and for an insight into what the human is doing in the landscape. It's rare to actually um, to see people in the, in, especially in the very industrial settings. In some of the um, the recreation settings, one might see people, but yeah, I, I I like it when I can see a figure, both for a sense of scale and for, you know, what people are people interest people. What do you each hope this exhibit has people thinking about and talking about after they view it? Well, I'll go first since uh, I opened my mouth first. Yeah, you're the star of the show, Henry. <laughs> These are your photos. I would like people to leave this exhibit thinking what a special place this is and realizing how fragile it is and how threatened it is. It seems so large and, um, and so self-contained that I think people might miss that. And on a larger sense, how threatened our world is because 
um, a place like the Adirondacks, precisely because of its wondrous beauty, can lull us into thinking that everything's okay. It's like, for me, I hate nature shows on television because they lull us into thinking that everything is okay. Even, even if the announcer comes on at the end and says in a deep voice, the earth is threatened and must be preserved. We still, what we remember is the lion cub and we think, oh, they're so cute. Yeah, so that's, that's the message for me. Yeah, from my perspective, I guess I, I, yeah, I agree with everything that Henry said. And I think that we, um, you know, we need to recognize uh, that we have an impact on the landscape in everything that we do. We don't need to see that impact necessarily as always negative or evil, but uh, it's there. Uh, one of the sort of positives, I know some people that actually feel so badly about this, they feel sort of ashamed to be a human being. So when I'm trying to cheer people up a little bit along the trail, because if they're just depressed, they're not going to, to do anything. They're not going to be active to, to protect the Adirondacks. They'll just go home and be depressed. But I think it's sort of cool that when we're out on the trail, we're exhaling carbon dioxide. All these green plants, which cover the landscapes, the Adirondacks need that CO2. And, uh, and they're inhaling it as we're exhaling it. So uh, I traveled the Adirondacks starting in the 1950s with my grandparents. I, and today in 2022, I drive, uh, yesterday I was driving roads. I drove uh, in the Adirondacks with my grandparents in the late 50s and 60s. And, you know, the, uh, the smoke from my grandfather's pipe the the air that they exhaled, the air that I exhaled when I was a kid, it's it's actually incorporated in the trees along the, the roads and the trails and the places that we go. So, you know, there are all these impacts, seen and unseen, positive, negative, neutral, whatever they might be. And it's I think it's it's honest and important that we be mindful that they're occurring, even if we don't even always know what they are. Well, Henry Fair and uh, Ed Kans, the, the photographs are amazing. Uh, the interpretation is wonderful as well. And I really thank you both for, uh, for sharing this with us. Well, Mitch, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure. Photographer Henry Fair and Adirondack writer and naturalist Ed Kans. Fair's photography and Kans's interpretation make up the special exhibit Scarred Landscape, the Adirondack photographs of J. Henry Fair at the Adirondack Experience in Blue Mountain Lake. We reached Kans at his home in the North Country and Fair from Berlin. You can also see some of Fair's photography on his social media feeds. You'll find a link at ncpr.org northwards. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Northwards. I'm Mitch Tyke. I hope you enjoyed our interview, and you can catch new content every Friday right here or wherever you get your podcasts. Find out more about Northwards and NCPR on our mobile app or at our website, ncpr.org. And while you're there, make a donation to support everything you hear on North Country Public Radio. Northwards is an NCPR podcast production. The show is written, edited, and produced by Mitch Tyke with digital production supervision by me, Ethan Shanty. Caitlin Kelly handles our social media, Bill Hanel is our digital director, and Doyle Dean is our production manager. Music is by the Wickmore Jazz Trio of Plattsburgh. To support this show and find more podcasts, visit ncpr.org. This is NCPR, North Country Public Radio.